This is this is your world, Matt. Great. We're just visiting. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and we have a special guest today. But before we get to him, I'm going to say hi to Prasanna. How's it going, Prasanna? You made it, you actually left the country and came back since the last time I saw you. Speaking of which, yeah, we got a chance to meet up when I was down in San Diego. It was always good to see Mr. Backup in person. And then I just did a quick little trip down to Mexico and back, and so it was nice. Got me some sun, so getting back into the swing of things. <laughs> and uh, and I got to meet your wonderful wife. I I was so impressed. I don't know how she is with you, but uh, how how the two of you are together. That's, that's a whole story for another day. I'm the arm candy. You're the, <laughs> you're the arm candy. Yeah, that's what's going on there. Our guest today is a truly unique individual that spent over 40 years as a private investor in technology stocks. The hedge fund he and his brother started achieved the top investment record of any money manager, equity or debt from 1985 to 1990. After an investment in a stem cell therapy company piqued their interest, they worked diligently to try to help people with this technology. Sadly, his brother died of a heart attack in 2012. In honor of his brother, he is now the founder and CEO of Ambrose Cell Therapy, which helps people with chronic degenerative diseases improve symptoms, function and quality of life using adult stem cell therapy. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Feshback. Thank you, Mr. Backup. Uh, it's going to be very different because normally when you, when you and I were talking, it was you asking me questions about sort of technology stuff. But today, it's going to be me asking you questions about your area of expertise. So I'm very excited to be the, the questioner. The interrogator. The inter yeah, before I was... <laughs> the Yes. The, Before I was, I was as much a private investigator as I was a private investor. Exactly. Exactly. So the reason that we're we're talking, well, actually, before we get to that, so there's a, a little story, Matt, that I, I don't know if I ever told you this uh, story, but it involved uh, Kurt Listug, which was uh, um, from uh, Taylor Guitar, and you had mentioned that you that you know Kurt and Taylor Guitar is in San Diego where I live and my family was here and uh, they, we wanted to take a tour. So we were down there taking a tour and I had texted Kurt uh, and and he said, yeah, when you're, you know, when you're done with the, with the tour, uh, just go to the front desk and tell them that you're, that, you know, to, to give me a call and then I'll come down and say, hi. I said, okay. And so my family, and by my family, I mean like my, so my immediate family, my wife, my kids, as long as uh, with my, uh, my father and mother were here. So I had a big group with me and we took the tour, which was amazing. Um, I, I would describe them as the perfect um, combination of old world craftsmanship with new technology. It's just amazing what they've done over there at Taylor. And then I went up to the desk as Kurt had instructed me. And he said, um, you know, I said to the lady at the front, I said, yes, uh, I'm, you know, I'm Curtis Preston. I'm, I'm, uh, was told to, to ask you to call Kurt when, um, when we got done with our tour and she's like, Kurt Listug. And I go, yes, that's the one. She's like, 
okay. Like she's looking at me like I'm a crazy person. And then um, we stood there and there they have this like room where they have a bunch of the different guitars up on the wall and there's pictures and whatnot. Well, I'm looking at the guitars and I'm looking at the pictures and Kurt walks out. And that's when I realized that Kurt is one of the founders of Taylor Guitar. <laughs> I actually had no idea. I thought he was just some guy that worked at Taylor. And I'm looking up at the wall and there's a picture of Kurt and here's Kurt. And I'm like, oh, so this is not just some person. This is a founder. And I totally understood, you know, why the person up front looked uh and he, he was, he was lovely. It was, it was great. It was, you know, uh, but it was, it, and that was all enabled, um, via your connection. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember that actually. Yeah. That was, that was a fun day. Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own and, uh, Matt's will be his own. And, uh, so the, and, and today we're going to be discussing what I would call a pretty major industry event. The reason I chose to reach out to you, Matt, was this uh, acquisition of Veeam, which is easily one of the the biggest, most recognizable names in the backup software industry by Insight Partners, which is a private equity firm. So, um, and it, it was they were acquired for five billion, which is a five x multiple on their uh, annual revenue of one billion. And so, but a lot of us that follow technology, we don't know what I just said. We don't understand. We don't understand a lot of the words that I just said. So why don't we start with, (laughs) I was just going to say, especially because I thought they were already private. So why would a private equity go buy them? Why would a private equity acquire a private company? Yeah. Um, And, and also you, Matt, you don't know anything you don't have any inside information on this thing you 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 have the same sources of information that we do right right correct yeah um but you are familiar with insight partners right yep i've okay i've been right. familiar with them for a number of years they bought a company here in clearwater actually about 10 years ago oh did they mhm it was called sunbelt software private equity means Typically, but not always at this point, but it started out where um, like the pioneers in private equity were is a firm called KKR, originally known as Colbert Kravis Robbins. Mm-hmm. You can't say that anybody in, was the first private equity firm, but they were the really the first to get money from large pension funds like... Um, like the Oregon Pension Fund and the Wisconsin Pension Fund and people like that. And they would go and buy um, all of a public company and they would do it with a lot of mm-hmm. borrowed money. So it was called a leveraged buyout. And then they would sell off assets and cut costs and pay down debt. And then ultimately, <coughs> typically bring the company Mm -hmm. public again Um, or they might sell the company, but they're for the most part, private equity firms are in companies for five to 10 years. Sometimes they get lucky and they uh, flip it like a house in a year or two. And sometimes they get unlike lucky and they never get out. Interesting. But the, but the goal is to flip it in some way, either to sell it to another entity or to take it public, right? 
Correct. And okay. so the reason it's called private equity, again, which is not a perfect, uh, it's a little bit of a misnomer these days, but the reason it's called private equity is because they were originally buying public companies and taking them private, or they might go to a family held business that was significant and buy it, but they would buy it and keep it private. Interesting. Why would they do that? To Just to sell it to somebody else or? Yeah, but, but their idea and Insight uh, has a great reputation for this. Their idea is, hey, we'll get involved. We're, you know, in the early days, it was all about financial engineering. You know, we can restructure the balance sheet or make the uh, income state income statement more efficient, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But we can increase the value of this thing through originally it was financial engineering, but companies like Insight, they don't, they're, they're really not into financial engineering. They're saying, Hey, what are the best practices of running? So it's more operational efficiencies. It's very operational. Then that would be my guess with Insight is they're not, they didn't get in there to cut any costs. They're, they're saying, Hey, look, if we had, 100% 100% control of this. The founders, two of the founders got to right. cash out, it looks like, which isn't to say they didn't leave any. Uh, well, they said they were buying 100% of it. So two of the founders got to cash out and they they probably have a network of portfolio companies and strategic um, relationships. And they probably know people like Curtis and they can say, Hey, you know, let's, we'd like to expand into this type of a space, or I think they're trying to expand mm-hmm. into the hybrid cloud space. Uh, what, what can we do to help them? And they may do what they call bolt on acquisitions. Bolt on means, Hey, they spent 5 billion on this company, but they're going to spend another $300 million on a company that's got some cool software for gotcha. now, the hybrid just, cloud space. So, and, and they have bought quite, oh, sorry, I was just going to ask, they have bought quite a few other companies in this space. Yeah, well. so so Matt, I, I, don't know if, I don't know how familiar you are with their portfolio, but they've acquired multiple backup companies. So they got Unitrends, Spanning, N2WS, and Quest. So these are all... Um, so I would say Unitrends and Quest are two very similar sort of small backup, sort of traditional backup software products. Spanning was um, a, what it was, a, it had a very, oh, so Spanning was about cloud backup, right, uh, Persona? Like it was like, it was about Office 365 and stuff like that? That's correct. Right. And then N2WS is... Um, a specifically about backing up again about backing up the cloud, um, sp- specifically about backing up AWS. So what you have here is you have a couple of traditional companies, a backing up a SaaS backup company, an IaaS backup company, and now a VMware uh, and Veeam or a VMware and Hyper-V type backup company. Um, so so it, it's almost like that's that's a potential family. So it, it, I think it looks like they might've acquired the bolts before they acquired the thing they're going to bolt it onto. Yeah. It's, I just don't know enough. You know, there, there probably is some synergy, but 
there's also just the idea yeah. that these guys like the backup space just like you do. And so they're building up a portfolio. And if there's synergies between some of the companies, that's part of the way that they can add value to whatever, uh, whichever of those companies they sort of connect, but it, that, it's not necessarily, but they, they won't end up as a bolt right. on acquisition necessarily. Yeah, they, because- they did mention, they did mention that, um, that the CEO, uh, it was two people that are going to step down. Uh, and I, I think the two founders, yeah, the two right? founders are, are actually going to step down from their current positions and it, and then they're bringing in their own CEO. So definitely it's, you know, and, it, and it's going to be a U.S. based corporation versus the Swiss based corporation that it was. So, yeah, definitely they're going to uh, manage it as their own. And uh, just a quick question, Matt. So when private equities purchase these bolt ons, um, are they tightly integrated from a product perspective or is it more from a portfolio perspective, even for the end user. Well, let me be clear about the bolt-on. So as using the example of Vima, Insight Ventures goes and acquires 100% of Vima. And then they say, Vima should buy uh, XYZ software company. And that, when Uh Vima does that, that's the bolt-on. If Insight were to make a separate purchase of a something to back up space that's not really considered a bolt-on but an example an example of what you just described happened with Commvault, which was another company uh, another big company that was acquired by a private equity firm and then they went and they acquired um uh hedvig which was a storage company um that would have been a bolt-on okay all right what do you call it when you it if if they acquired a com- another company separately and then they put them together, is that does that have a term? Well, I mean, it's a form of really bolting it on, but it, that's they mer- they would be merging it in as opposed to one of their portfolio companies um, acquiring it. But you don't see too much of that, and I think part the of merging the. So you don't see too much of, hey, we bought company X today, we bought company Y, you know, six months later, and then six months later, we merged the two. It's, I'm not, I think there's different reasons for that, but I think that they, if they felt that company A fit with company B, right. they no, would just have sense. company yeah. A buy right. company B, the- it's just simpler. So one one thing that came up to mind, or one thing that came to my mind again, because I, I don't play in this world, but hip, p, uh, private equity companies historically had, I think, a much more negative reputation than the one you're describing for Insight Ventures, which sounds like a pretty positive reputation. If, am I correct in in remembering or understanding? Like this is the type of company that was depicted in the movie Wall Street, right? Which was a very negative sort of depiction. Right, because that was all about financial engineering and laying people off. And the financial engineering, first of all, most companies today that our uh, private equity is interested in, whether it's a private company like Veeam or a public company, are much better managed than the 80s and 90s. And so financial engineering isn't nearly as um, 
you know, it's the, the possibilities to just do financial engineering don't really exist to the mm, same gotcha. degree as they used to when private equity got its bad name. And now private equities, I mean, they didn't necessarily deserve that. I've always respected the people that I've known in private equity, but um, today private equity is responsible for millions of jobs and, you know, pension funds have uh, profited enormously. So Joe Worker makes plenty of money off private equity. And so, oh, so that's, it brings up another question. Will this, and this is just one of curiosity for me, will this event, uh, Insights acquisition of Veeam, most likely be an equity event for people within the company? Uh, yeah. So they'll, yes. they'll be able to to actually, basically to get cash for their, what used to be just stock options. Yeah. And then they should most likely get some new st- stock options to s- to stay on board right. and try to bring it to the right. next level. A retention bonus. They, they liked Veeam enough to buy it. And Veeam is nothing without all of its people. So uh, they want those people to stay. Um, and so they, they would most likely incentivize them with stock options. Yes. So I just had a slightly separate topic. I was talking to Curtis earlier about this. So I understand private equities going and buying companies and then what we had just talked about. But there's also the other aspect where you have some large hedge funds which go and invest in public companies in order to change the dynamics of said company. Would you say that that is different in terms of being more on the negative side than, say, private equity going and acquiring? Well, so what you just described is what they call activist investing. So typically a hedge fund which is a fund that will go uh, long and short, meaning they'll bet the stock's going up or they'll bet the stock's going down. So the hedge fund will go in and buy some percentage of the company, 5 or 10% typically. And then they'll say, you know what? You guys are managing this thing all wrong and we want to bring two new guys in on the board and we want you to sell off X, Y, and Z divisions and focus on your core competency. So that's a not a typical narrative that the activist investor, you know, works with. There there are what we call hostile activists. There are constructive activists. I've done some constructive activist investing where I bought up to 20% of a company and then went in and said, you know, hey, could we improve the margins here or could we sell off uh, non-core assets, but it was done in partnership with with uh, those companies. One that's just rather than just telling them, by the way, go do this because yeah, I own right. X percent and yeah. So, so there's on a so spectrum forth. of activist investing investors, but for the most part, you know, they add value to whether they're hostile or constructive or whatever. They've tended to add value above and beyond what the current management uh, was doing at the time that the activist acquired their shares. But it's very different than private equity. Sometimes it's a little kick in the pants. Yeah, it's is like what a little need. kick in the pants or a big one. <laughs> so is there a reason, though, that a company, sorry, switching topics just a little bit again. Um, is there a point that a company would want to continue staying private? Like Veeam, for instance, was a private company before, and now they were acquired by a private equity firm. 
is there a reason that a company would want to stay private rather than either being acquired or uh, go- well, that's going an interesting public? and actually very topical uh, question. So when when I got in the markets in the late seventies, the um, when a lot of companies would go public when the when the markets were pretty frothy like we have today, and then they would get out a quarter, two quarters, or three quarters, and they'd miss their numbers, and the stock would blow up. And they, the common refrain at that point was, well, you know, we came public prematurely. We should have waited till we had a more stable business and a more predictable model. Around the time Facebook really started to get attention, Microsoft put in $300 million in it, and it became sort of a Silicon Valley venture capital darling, there was a shift towards, wait, why are we bringing these companies public prematurely? Why don't we bring them public when they're really mature? Because as venture investors, and venture is a different form of private equity, you know, it's they're investing in private companies, but they're doing, they're taking 10, 15, 20% of startups and, you know, companies that have done two or three rounds of financing. But in any event, they were saying, Hey, let, let's wait till it's mature enough that we can get the we can get the biggest bang for our investment dollar out of it. And so uh, Google was somewhat that way, but Facebook was really that way. People kept going, "Why don't you go public? You're just you know, why don't you go public? Why don't you go public?" And then there became a whole thing about how the the venture guys were kind of hogging all the good stuff for themselves. <laughs> Which you can sort of see the <laughs> the uh, the penultimate of that is Uber, right? Like they they got it up to a ridiculous valuation that allowed that, but maybe it should have come public earlier and had to have the discipline of a path to profitability, which they didn't really need to get the kind of valuation they got when they did go public. If that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And so you start, you're starting to see a lot more of these unicorns, if you will, right? The $1 billion valuation companies. Do you think that a good chunk of those might be in that early phase where they haven't learned and or they haven't figured out their path to profitability? And so there are concerns about whether those windows go public, what will happen? For sure. Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's consistently spoken of by the venture guys themselves and by um, just the media that follows them. Yeah. These companies get these big valuations and then they aren't necessarily now they have to kind of earn their way into them before they can even get public. And, and uh, a lot of them have gotten their growth out of um, spending well ahead of revenue. So, you know, you see some of these things uh, toward the end of this Last year, towards the end of 2019, some of them really didn't do very well on their uh, on their offering days, like Uber and Lyft and Peloton and others, because they, in a in a strange way, they still weren't ready to go public because their their path to profitability was too risky for people to just want to pay any crazy price. I'm on the list of people who wonder if Uber and Lyft will ever find a path to profitability. But, you know, it's just a it's just a really weird business model that they have there, right? Yeah. I mean, 
My guess is that the microeconomics of their business isn't as bad as the top line and bottom line would suggest, meaning they probably make money when I I only Uber. I don't have right. a car. I kind of like the convenience of working in the back seat and uh, that kind of thing most of the time. So they're probably making money off people right. like me. But you're right. They you know they spend so much money on stupid growth things. I mean I don't know. Maybe Uber Eats is working, but some of the other Uber things they're doing, I can't imagine well, will and, ever work. And, and it, it's incredibly um, expensive for them to expand into an individual market because they need a certain, you know, a certain number of drivers to be available at any given time in order to, um, to for for it to be right. For, for, for people to want to call those drivers. Right. And that costs money. You have to pay those drivers to essentially to do nothing. And so that, that that's, it's very difficult to get into new markets, but I'm just wondering how many new markets are left for them to expand into. And then, you know, and then you're, you're talking about the other, the other ways they're doing to increase their TAM, like Uber eats and things like that. But, but I think that TAM thing is a really interesting point that I think a company like Veeam won't suffer from, but companies like Uber will. And that's that most of these companies that get funded to be, you know, uh, to be unicorns and then get public and lose all sorts of money, their story is their TAM. And they always talk about TAM expansion. And you see this a lot in med tech as well as uh, backup and SaaS companies. It's TAM, 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 TAM. And some of those TAMs are, are valid, but a lot of times that the uh, hype is a lot more substantive than the hope of actually achieving that TAM. So let's come back to the, this, the topic uh, that started this whole conversation with what, what, what could this mean, especially in the short term, for people who are customers of a company like Veeam when they're acquired? I, I would think it would be there'd be a lot of disruption uh, when the company that you're using, a, a particular vendor, gets acquired by a company and there's this level of change in corporate structure and management and all that sort of. Well, I think if there was financial mm-hmm. engineering, that would be more of a concern. Another concern that would not be relevant here is that they're not being bought by somebody who's now going to also do financial engineering and consolidate um operations and lay off people and that kind of thing. So I think in this case, Insight just wants to see it grow. And I think they're going to do mm-hmm. that with the customer in mind. I mean, these are very smart people. So I think that they, I don't think it will be disruptive for customers or even partners in this particular case, but you're absolutely correct that it could be in It could be if, if, if somebody, if a, if a private equity firm did it with maybe, I, I don't know, I, I guess the question is, if they have a long-term focus, if they if they want to flip it or they want to take it public, they need to grow that company, right? And and, they, and obviously, they want to do that in such a way as to to get an ROI, right? And do you think it's because it's, they would need to get more than 5X, you know, on the, on the, the, the revenue to get, so they they need to either increase the multiple or they need to, they need to increase the TAM, right? 
Well, I guess they are increasing the TAM by going to the hybrid cloud, right? So that so they that's increased the TAM. But I think what you meant is the 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 magic formula here is they need to uh, increase the growth right. rate and expand the multiple. Minimally, they need even if they don't increase the growth rate, they need to get multiple expansion, and that's where going public makes sense because uh, for some perverse reason. Uh, mutual funds and hedge funds and uh, the people who can kind of control the markets, which is a lot of them, it's not like a conspiracy, but these people will pay more, they'll pay higher multiples for public companies than private equity will. Theoretically, they could take a company, they could take it public tomorrow and theoretically make money, Theoretically, is what, is what I'm hearing correct. you say. Not that they would do that. No, but it's happened. I've seen companies that were bought by private equity and within three months, they went went around, went out, and brought it public at a much higher valuation, and sold stock to the really public investors, and got their their bait back. That would probably be an edge condition, right? <laughs> that would be that would not be a normal scenario. You no, know, it just depends on the industry. I don't think you'd see that very often in technology, but I, I think I've seen it a few times. But it, you know, if gotcha. you think more of a industrial company that they borrowed a bunch of money to buy the company. Now they can uh, pay them. They've, they've fixed it up. It's earning more money. They can pay themselves a big dividend. The private equity fund can, and then they can take it public and pay off more debt and maybe even sell stock into that offering. Definitely happens. But that's not really, that's not what I've ever seen Insight do. Insight's a growth equity company, so they they want to they want to add value to this company and, like you said, grow the TAM, grow the revenue, right. or, and expand the multiple. Yeah, grow the revenue whether it's whether that's via TAM or via aggressive marketing and sales techniques. Right. Yeah, and I mean a lot of times right. a private company like this, and from what I've read about Beam, you know these guys most of their growth was organic, so they were. They weren't going to investors every six months or a year and saying, hey, in order to grow, we need another 20 million. Oh, now we need another 50 million. Oh, now we need another 100 million. I think these guys just grew the business. And um, I'm guessing it was extremely well run. But, you know, back to your point about multiple expansion, we don't know how fast Veeam is, is growing. Maybe do you guys know? I I believe that actually their growth has slowed somewhat. It it, it it took off for quite a bit, but the information that I have is that their growth has slowed to about ten percent. But I don't know what the reason for that is, right? But that would explain why the multiple was only five times. If they were growing at thirty percent, it would have been ten gotcha. times. Gotcha. But what they do have, uh, and this was described, uh, what they do have is a. Re- ridiculous number of customers, right? So it's something, what is it, Prasanna? It's like 350,000 or something? Some very large some, number, yes. Some number like that. So that, that that's, I think, their challenge is that they, they're not getting that they, they're not getting that much per customer per year, right? Um, but that's also their biggest asset because if you, because they have so many customers, if you just ask a random forum somewhere, Hey, how do I back up VMware? You're going to get 10 people to say Veeam before you get any other answer, right? Because they have so many very small customers. So they have a they have a rabid fan base, I would say that. 
but their growth, I think, has slowed a little bit. But it'll be interesting to see what Insight does with them. And it's good to hear from you that, you know, you said Insight has a good reputation and they're most likely going to, they're in this to make it a bigger, you know, more profitable company and to see if they can increase that revenue. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. In this particular case, I don't see what other motivation they have. It, it is interesting. And again, you don't follow the space uh, like you used to, but into WS, one of their other uh, acquisitions, what persona was it like two months ago? I, I Time passes in my head different than other people. I think it's been like five months or four months. Is it five months? So I think it was yeah, like so four months into ago. Into WS was acquired by Veeam a year or two ago. And they had to divest it. N2WS wanted to sell to the federal government, but they couldn't because of right. So they sold Veeam. I'm sorry, Veeam sold N2WS to Insight Ventures to solve that problem, and now N2WS and Veeam are now owned by the same company, which is it's just funny. I find that amusing, and I think Insight. Mm. Also, put money into Veeam earlier. Yes, last year. Yeah. Well, they were. Yeah, half a billion. Just a small, just a small check of yeah. <laughs> five hundred million dollars. I think that's so. When you do something like that, uh, Matt. So basically, they gave them five hundred million so they could poke around and decide whether or not they wanted to spend five billion. I think is what they did. You know, I'm don't think not that's sure fair... that that's um, necess- I, well a five hundred million dollar uh, experiment. Isn't that's a lot to experiment with? <laughs> I think that they they may have said, "Hey, look, you know, we'd like to do a two-step transaction, invest in the company." And maybe this is a little bit more of what you're saying. Uh, invest in, you know, do a two-step, and later we'd like to be able to buy the whole thing if you're interested in that. Right. Well, I I I, I, I didn't mean to imply that they gave him five hundred million dollars without doing due diligence. No, no, I didn't think you were saying that. But it, it is interesting that it was a two-step Very. thing, right? Uh, Prasanna, do you have any additional? No, it's just interesting to see this space and how a lot of these vendors are sort of consolidating down, which you also see in the storage space as well. So, and I something to keep right. an eye on. Yeah. Well, well, I just all all I know is it's is it validates once again the data protection market, which um, I'm always a big fan of. So I mean, look, it's an important market, and and technology itself. You know, there's these different waves of startups that create new categories, but once the category gets mature, the only way to really um, maximize value is to consolidate. Right. And um, you know, one thing you asked me earlier, I just like I just thought through. You said would would um, Insight likely be borrowing money against this on this deal, and I think they only have about eighteen billion under management, if I remember reading that. So the odds are that they, if they bought it for five billion, maybe they put up one or two billion and then borrowed money. Um, you know, I don't know what the capital structure would be, but they borrowed some money to um, mm-hmm. finance the rest of it. <clears throat> and some of that might have even been uh, founder financing, where the founders get paid out over a couple of year period, not right. just all, all just at once. Very interesting. Of course, it's all private, so we don't know. We're just all theorizing and wondering. <laughs> yeah, but they may end up, I don't know if we can do a uh, an alert on this, but they may end up going to the public debt markets and to for some of that financing it may not all be bank financing and so if they did that then they actually have to file the financials and we could 
um, ascertain hmm. more of the details. Good stuff. This is this is your world, Matt. Great. And we're just we're just we're just uh, we're just visiting. <laughs> well, uh, what what was that, Matt? And welcome to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. It's a little yeah. perverse. I had a, just a, one last question. Is it interesting that they waited until after the new year to close the deal? I think what's actually more interesting is they want to take a company that's probably tax advantaged in Switzerland and domicile it in the U.S. You kind of wonder why you would want to do that if you have a big international business. Should be some tax payments coming up. Assuming it's as profitable as it right. seems like right. it must be to pay $5 billion for it on only a billion revenue if it's not growing a lot. I'm sure they had a very rational reason for it, but that was one of the things that surprised me is why why would you um, domicile it in the U.S. when Swiss corporate tax rates are so low? But, you know, maybe that's the only way that they can get money to their fund is to repatriate it. Maybe it would be more difficult, just like it is for Apple, doesn't want to take their offshore funds and bring them back to the U.S. I also wonder if it's around some of the U.S. government concerns, too. Maybe if they brought it back into the U.S. Oh, as yeah. a headquartered company, those federal contracts may be more open. It would be, it would be really funny. Yeah, if they, if they make it a U.S. company managed by U.S. people, uh, otherwise known as Americans, um, and, then, and then brought into WOS back into the picture and then started doing government money, uh, business with the government again. That would be that would be very interesting as far as I'm concerned. But who knows? We're all just theorizing. Well, anyway, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, I hope you I hope you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> I know we enjoyed. I did. You guys, you guys are fun. Well, we try. <laughs> Thank we try. you. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> All right. And with You're that, welcome. I want to say thanks. thanks to the listeners and make sure that you subscribe so that you can restore it all. Isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll ride on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
up run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe one day it'll all work out You're sure someone's vile and totally make out Your little wish you never deleted You could restore it you all Oh